Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Who's also a very good friend of mine and someone I've come to love and to trust over this last few years and uh, it's great, it's a privilege to have him here this morning. Why don't you welcome Sujith Alex, who's going to come and bring the Word of God this morning. Great. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be here. What a great church you have. I remember being at the old building. I remember being at the uh, transition building in Zion Baptist Church. Is that right? And I, oh, I do notice you've got a new set of drums. Is that a recent addition? Yes. Excellent. Very good. Well, um, I am uh, just privileged to be here. My wife, Reshmi, is here. She's somewhere in the back, or perhaps she's gone downstairs because our baby was a bit cranky, so she thought she's going to stick around at the back. But uh, it's just a privilege for us to be here. And, um, and thank you for the invitation. How many of you think you've got the best-looking church leaders you could ever have? Like Phil and Emma. Look, look at the way they look, yeah? They could be models if they weren't doing church, wouldn't they? It's just great. Um, but uh, it's, just, it's just good uh, to honor our leaders and honor the people that God has called into our lives. You know, according to the Bible, pastors, leaders, people who lead church, people who do what we do, they're not primarily people who do a job. They're primarily gifts, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, when Paul wrote to a church in Ephesus, said that when Jesus rose from the dead, he gave gifts to the church, and some of the gifts were apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. And one of the ways you honor the giver is how well you look after the gift. Isn't that right? If you really appreciate a gift, it shows that you're showing honor to the giver of the gift. And so Phil and Emma are gifts to you. They're not just your leaders, pastors, but they're God's gifts to you. And so it's good that we honor them, we appreciate them, we pray for them. Ask them, find out, everyone find out when their wedding anniversary is and when, when that week is on, go give them a little gift, encourage them, be with them, rally alongside them. And uh, I had a glimpse at, at uh, all the stuff that Phil shared on Vision Sunday Day about all the things that Kings has planned for this year. These are exciting times to be in and uh, if you haven't got uh, a glimpse of what that is, get, get plugged into the vision of the church and I'm sure it will bless you as well. So can we together just put our hands together and appreciate Phil and Emma. We honor you. We love you. We as a church want to pray for you. And we trust that the best days, the best days for King's Church are ahead of us. Amen. Amen. Now I'm going to share from the Bible. If you have a Bible, we're going to look at 2 Kings chapter 8. 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 to 6. I'm going to read it. Oh, it's on the screen in, 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 uh, on, the, on my side, so I'm going to read it from the screen in case you don't have a Bible. I'll read it off the screen. Now, Elijah had said to the woman whose son he had restored to life, Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can, because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. At the end of the seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to the king to beg for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and said, Tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. 
Just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to beg the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, this is the woman, my lord the king. This is her son whom Elisha restored to life. The king asked the woman about it and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land, from the day she left the country until now. I'm going to pray and ask God to speak to us. Will you just pray with me that God's Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts? God knows exactly who you are, where you're from, what you're dealing with today. And I truly believe that God wants to release a word and bring a shift and bring a transformation to people's lives, marriages, businesses, finances, health, even just shift the season of King's Church as a whole. Father, in Jesus' name, we are ready to listen. We are here. Speak to us. Speak in power, in purpose and clarity. We look to you and we ask you that you will speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Word of God has the power to change lives. Every time the Bible says the entrance of His Word brings light. Now, wherever there is light, darkness cannot be. So when God's Word comes, light comes. And when light comes, darkness cannot remain. And when darkness does not remain and God's light has the power to transform and change us, the Word of God incredibly shifts everything that is concerning our lives. So I want you to look at the person sitting next to you and say, watch me change right before your eyes. Tell them, say, watch me change right before your eyes. Watch me change. Watch me change. Watch me change. Okay. So this, this, the, the story is this. The Elisha, the, the man of God, comes to, comes to Geha, uh, uh, Elisha comes to a woman and says, hey, I have a word for you. Uh, what, 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 would, what would you be thinking if, if somebody came to you and said, hey, God has a word for you? I'd be excited to know what God has for me. Well, the word was this. You've got to leave your house, go and live wherever you want, because the place you're living in is going through a famine for the next seven years. How many of you would be excited if you got a word like that? I promise you, I wouldn't tweet that, would you? I wouldn't. I'd be like, that's either a wrong word or, or, or this guy's messed up because he's, he's got this absolutely wrong Go leave your house. Go wherever you want to live. God has called for a famine for seven years. What do you do when you want the best for your life, but you hit a dry spell, you hit a famine season? I really sense that there are people here who've been pushing for things, pushing for a change in your marriage, pushing for a change in your ministry, pushing for a change in your children, pushing for a change in your business, pushing for a change in finances. But you're saying, God, as even though I'm trying to do my level best to push and bring a change and a shift, I seem to have hit a dry spell. I seem to have hit a famine season. What do you do when you're following God? God is for you. You know He's not against you. You're loving God. You're coming to church. You're serving Him. You're giving money. You're worshiping. And you're wondering, God, if I'm doing the best I can for you, and I believe that you love me, why is it that I find myself stuck sometimes? Have you ever asked yourself the question why you can be so in the plan and in the will of God, yet be stuck and wondering why there isn't progress. The worst thing about, about being stuck is that you notice other people around you who are not stuck. 
And sometimes, I don't know about you, in church, when people come up and give a story and a testimony about, God did this, I'm thinking, when's my turn? You know, Rob comes and says, I drove seven hours to Gibraltar, we got married. And some of you single folk are thinking, when's my turn? I've been waiting a long time. What do you do when you know God loves you, you love God, everything's, everything's cool, but you're in a famine season? I mean, you could, get, you, could, you could pray and get over it if it was the devil. You could deal with people if it was the people. But the Bible says that God, God did it. God has called for a famine for seven years. You can't pray against God. Because if you want to pray against God, who do you pray to? God has called for a famine that will last seven years. Now go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can. I want you to pause that verse. Just leave that on the screen for me. Go away with your family and stay away for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. You know, sometimes I wish God was like my GPS, my navigation system in the car that says, go straight after 400 yards, turn left and then turn right and you have reached your destination. But sometimes God's not like that. God says, go And stay wherever you can. What is wherever? Where is wherever? God, God, give me some detail. Give me some some instruction. Give me some clarity on on what wherever is. Where on earth is wherever? What do you do when you're following God and you're saying, God, I'd love some clarity. I'd love for you to just be clear about my next few steps because I know what you want me to do. And all God says to you is wherever. What on earth is wherever? What do you do? I really feel as I was praying for you guys this morning, there are people here sitting with questions saying, God, I'm asking you, give me clarity. Is this off you? Is this not of you? Is this the will of God? Is this not the will of God? What are my next steps in business? What are my next steps in work? Do I need to stay in Cambridge or do I need to relocate from Cambridge? Where are you taking our marriage? What's happening with our kids? Give me some direction, please. And all God's saying is wherever. What, 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 what do you do when God speaks and He's not like your GPS? I really wish He was. But sometimes when you follow God, the instructions are not very clear. The plan is not very clear. The path is not very clear. The blueprint is not very clear. And you still have to walk by faith knowing that He loves you and you trust, and you trust Him. And you say, God, I do know that somehow this is going to work. I do know that somehow this is going to, this is going to work. I do know that somehow... You're going to make this all happen. I really like this, 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 this version because, because Elisha says, God has a word for you. Go away with your family and stay for a while. Everybody say this with me, a while. You see, in my vocabulary, seven years is not a while. Seven years is a long time. For me, a while is two days. Three days at the most. You sometimes are asking God, I'd really like something, please. And God says, I'll give it to you in a while. And you're thinking, oh yeah, something's happening this week. 
and the week finishes, and you go, something's going to definitely happen this week, and, we come, and the next month comes along, and you think, something is definitely going to happen this month. What do you do when you're sitting on the promises of God, and you're just hearing this, God's going to do something. God's gonna, next time you go for a word, Phil prays for you, and says, oh, God's going to do something. There's a breakthrough coming, a healing's coming, something's coming. And you think, man, I've been hearing this for a long time. It's about time that you stopped calling it a while. Just call it what it is. It's a long time. Have you and God ever had arguments about timing? I have. Like, sometimes I really want to just take my watch and put it, go to the, go to the Royal Mail, first class recorded delivery and send it to heaven and say, hey, this is the time I'm working on. I really want to know what time you're working on because ah, our times don't seem to match up sometimes. Because sometimes I'm waiting on you for a, for a long time and you, you just call it a while. But to me, it's not a while. I'm tired of waiting. What do you do when you're following God, but the promises of God are taking a while? What do you do when you're waiting on clarity from God, but the clarity is taking a while? What do you do when you've hit a dry spell and the dry spell's taking a while? You see, I don't have time to read this, but in chapter 4, it says that this woman had houses, she had land, she had servants, she had farms. She was not a poor woman, she was a wealthy woman. And for her to check out of her property and just go and live wherever she wanted or wherever that was, for that was a big that was a big decision. That was a big decision. Can you imagine the family meeting? She called all of her relatives, but you see in chapter 4 that she had a family and she had loads of family members all around and she was happy with the family members around. That's the context of the story in chapter 4. This is my imagination. She calls everyone for dinner one day and says, guys, come over for dinner. And uh, they all come home and uh, say, hey, we have a big announcement. Tomorrow, me and my son, we're moving abroad. And the whole family goes, really? You're doing that? Yeah, yeah. She says, yeah, yeah. Where are you going? Don't know. Wherever. Why? Well, a famine is about to come. What do you mean a famine's about to come? Uh, What do you do when you're following God and everybody's looking at you and going, you're crazy? Has has that ever happened? Everyone's thinking, you are nuts. You're either out of your mind or, or we need to help you somehow because you're saying you're going to leave this incredibly big farming estate, a wealthy woman, houses, servants, donkeys, and, 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 and the lot. She's a wealthy woman and she makes an announcement one day that she's going to check out because God has said to her that in the future there will be a famine. I really feel when I prayed this morning that there's some of you thinking, God, I've been following you, but because of that, it's cost me a few relationships. It's cost me a few friendships. It's cost a few people to look at me funny. Why is it that I'm following you? And yet I seem to be losing favor with people. What do you do when God is behind all of it? What do you do? And she leaves her house. And where does she go and live? The Bible says she went and lived in the land of the Philistines. Look at the next verse. So if you don't know this, but the Philistines and Israelites were not friendly. 
there was a man in the Bible, his name was Goliath. They, he was a Philistine. These two people were, were enemies. So she checks out of her house, out of her farm, with her son, and she goes and finds herself where? The only place she could find herself living is in the place that right in the middle of all the people who hated her. What do you do when you move and you take a few steps of faith, a few steps of risk, and thinking, well, I think God is behind this, and you take a few steps, and you find yourself right in the middle of even more uncomfortable situations. How many of you can say, well, I can truly say my life to an extent, sometimes I feel has become a bit more uncomfortable after I made a decision to follow Jesus. Because that's what happened to this woman and that's what happened to her son. So she lives there for seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said. She and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines for seven years. Look at verse 3. At the end of seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and she went to the king to beg for her house and her land. Everyone say, her house. Now say that with me. Her house. Say, her land. After seven years, she says, she wakes up one day, she's, uh, she looks at her son and says, Honey, seven years is up. We're done living in the land of the Philistines. According to the word of God, our seven years is up. We're going to go back home. And when we go back home, this is the plan. We're going to go straight to the king. And we're going to beg the king for what? A house and our land. So she decides to get on this journey. She goes on this journey. She's leaving the land of the Philistines. And she is going to the king. Look at the next verse. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, and said, tell me about all the great things that Elisha has done. So I want you to imagine with me that the right of this auditory, my right, your left, this is where the Philistine camp is. So she decides to take a journey back to Israel, back to going meeting the king. I want you to imagine that this end of the room here is the king's palace. It so happens that as she started that journey back to the king's palace to make a request, to beg the king for land and and the house, the king all of a sudden has this curiosity. I really want to hear some stories about Elisha. I really, I don't know why. I don't feel like reigning today. I don't feel like ruling today. I don't feel like doing anything that a king will do. I just feel like sitting and listening to stories. So she, he calls Gehazi. Gehazi is the servant of Elisha and says, Gehazi, come sit with me. I just want to, I just want to hear some stories about Elisha. I've heard about this incredible man of God. You were his servant. Tell me some of the stories. Tell me some of the things that he's done. And Gehazi is like, oh, you would never believe what this guy's done. God did this through him and God did that through him and God did that through him and God did this through him and this one time this woman was barren she could have no children and and this prophet came to her and said next year this time you're going to have a baby and then she had a baby this baby grew up to become a teenager this baby ended up dying and this man of God Elisha came back prayed for this baby this baby got up from the dead and he was raised back to life and 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 Elisha was like you're joking Really, did this happen? And just at that moment, there's a knock on the door. And and Gehazi goes, King, you won't believe this. You won't believe this. 
just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored this dead boy to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life came to beg the king for what? Her house and her land. Gehazi said, King, you won't believe this. This is the woman, my lord the king, and this is her son whom Elisha restored to life. You know that story I was just telling you? Well, here's, here they are. Here, here they are. Right, right. This is them. This is them. King is like, wow. Really? No, no, no. Tell me again. Why did the woman decide to go back to the palace to beg the king for what? To beg, to beg the king for her house and her land. Look at the next verse, verse 6. The king asked the woman about it. About what? Not the house and land. About the story of her son. That Elisha had raised from the dead. And she told him. She thought she was going back to tell the king. Please give me my lamb back. Please give me my house back. She ended up not begging but talking about her testimony. She thought she was going for begging. Please. I lost my house. Give me my house back. I lost my land. Please give me my land back. But when she enters the king's presence, all she talks about is not that her house is lost and her land is lost. She tells the king about the story of her son that died and rose again. Can I tell you this? No matter what you go through, the power of your story is greater than what you go through. Some of you are going through times where things are unclear and there is no direction and there is no clarity concerning the future. But the power of your story is bigger than the power of your confusion. Some of you are going through times and saying, God, I've been waiting a long time and I'm tired of waiting. But this morning, God is here to give you the grace to remind you that the power of your story is greater than the power of your tiredness. Because the woman had left the land, but the power of her story had not left the land. They were still talking about her story, even though she hadn't been in the land for seven years. You must remember, these are times when there was no Facebook, no Twitter, no Instagram, no emails. No one's one's keeping in track with the woman. No one has seen this family for seven years. But even though no one's seen the family for seven years, the story was still being told. The story was still being told. Well, you might say, well, I don't have a story as fascinating as that. I don't have a son and I don't have a story of my son being raised from the dead. Let me tell you this. We all have a story of a son we never had who was given to us, who died and rose again. And his name is Jesus Christ. We all do. We all have a story. We all have that story. We all have that story. And no matter how many people get healed from sickness, and no matter how many people go to an encounter of the miraculous, when you say, you know what, 
I didn't have a leg. Somebody prayed for me and a leg grew. No matter how many people come and say, I was broke and I prayed and somebody came and gave me an envelope full of cash. No matter how many times you can hear a story about saying my marriage was broken, but somebody prayed and it was restored. No matter how many stories we can tell at King's Church, there will be no greater story than the story of a father who loved you and I and gave his son to die on a cross to shed his blood and he died and he rose again that story will always be the greatest story it will always be the greatest story it will always be the greatest story the fact that you and I who deserve to die spend all of our eternity away from God we became the recipients of incredible mercy and love and Jesus died in your place and he rose again For a moment I thought Phil was going to preach my sermon. For a moment I thought you guys were going to sing my sermon. Because from the moment we got here we've been talking about the resurrection. That God is not a God just who is dead. But they tried to kill him and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a stone over his tomb and they put a Roman seal over it. But three days after he was in the tomb. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered disease. And he conquered every curse. Today Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is forever alive and we believe in the resurrection we believe that Jesus is victorious and no matter who you are that story is your story the story of a son that you never had that you never deserved that you never could have but was given to you and he died and he rose again But you see, the story doesn't end there. Because she went there to beg for what? Her house and her land. So so, so the woman tells the king a story. and Then the king assigned an official. Everyone say an official. Not a volunteer, an official. That means the king is paying somebody a salary. An official. The king assigned an official to her case and said to him, Give back everything that belonged to her including all the income from the land that she from the day she left the country until now why did she check out of the land because there's a famine so how do you get income from a land that's just gone through famine the king says to an official hey i'm going to assign you from today onwards that's not your job. I know you, I gave you a few responsibilities. From today onwards, this is your job. I'm going to give you a new case. Give back to this woman everything that she has. Everything that is hers, give it back. But give her back all the income from the land from the day she left until now. In other words, give her back a seven-year paycheck along with her house and her land. How many of you would take that? Seven-year paycheck? Single? A single shot? Seven-year paycheck? So this official goes back to the land. Says, hey, that's your house, right? So yeah, it's yours. Who's, why? Oh, well, the king says so. Okay. Because the king's word is always the final word. What's this? Is this your land? Yeah, it's my land. Well, it's yours. Well, 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 you can't have... Well, the king says so. 
When the king says so, it's done. So she's happy because when she came back from the Philistines, she wanted to ask the king for what? Her house and her land. May I use this bag? And the official says, hey, by the way, this is for you. She says, what's this? Oh, this is all the money that was generated from your land from the day you left till now. When the the gentleman at the back was asking me what my sermon title today was, I said, my sermon title today is this, the ultimate setup. The ultimate setup. For seven years, she didn't pay wages to any of her workers. She didn't work on her farm. She comes back and walks into a seven-year paycheck all in one go. I want to prophesy over King's Church this morning that you're entering into a season of divine increase. Things that have been held back for seven years, they're all coming back at one go in Jesus' name. Struggles that you've had to go through for seven years. Saying, God, how long am I waiting? 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 Well, you weren't counting. But heaven was counting on your behalf. And all the things that are due to you, all of the blessings that were due to you, it is coming back to you in Jesus' name. I want to declare this morning over King's Church, financial increase. For every person who is in some sort of work whatsoever and you know you've hit a famine season where you say, God, it's been seven years, I've worked hard, I haven't got a promotion, people have just overlooked me. God says to you, this is the year where you will walk into the ultimate setup because even though people have been bypassing you, God has seen you and if he has been faithful in taking you through the famine season, it was not for your evil. Everything God does in your life is always for good. And this year you will walk into it. I really feel some things are going to shift this morning. I really feel the things that have been blocked up are going to be released. I really feel some of your questions that have never been answered, they will find their answers in this coming season. She comes up and takes hold of her house, takes hold of her land. And takes hold of everything that she lost in the season of famine. Why? Because she was good? No. Because she was prayerful? No. Because she was influential? No. But because she had the power of a story of a son who died and rose again. And there is no person in this room who does not have that story. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is a verse in Romans Paul writes to a church in Rome and he says this. If he did not withhold his son, but gave himself up, will he not also give everything else? Let me say that again. If he did not withhold his son, I have a son. I can never imagine killing my son for somebody else. I can't. If he did not withhold his son, but gave himself up, for us will he not also give everything else what does that mean that means well if he could kill his son for you everything else is going to be okay that's what it means that God's guarantee that everything is going to be okay depends on the cross 
You can't forever blame the church and say, I am the way I am because nobody prayed for me. The pastor didn't lay hands on me. I was going through a hard time and nobody found me out and nobody came and searched for me. And why is it that I'm doing so much and nobody seems to be looking after me? No, 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 no. If you are a child of God, your focus, your destiny, your foundation and your assurance is not the pastor or the church. It's the cross. Jesus died for you. He rose again for you. The pastor has his own family. The leader has his own family to look after. He's not going to be the answer to all of your problems. I'm a church leader myself. I know that. So this year, plug into the vision of King's Church. Get behind your leadership because it's a year where you as a church will walk into things that have been stored up for seven years. And when it comes, you don't want to miss it, do you? King's Church, in a lot of ways, has gone through God-intended famines. But they've never been famines in the first place. It was the ultimate setup. The ultimate setup. For you to walk into all of the increase that God meant for you. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church, or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.